It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. Here for the first time as a host, uh, Steve Haller, with me as always from our live stream days, which were of course less than a week ago, uh, my compatriots Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman, also writers on the site. How are we doing guys? Hello. You may have heard some of our voices. Yeah, we're back again, and this time we're sticking around for good. So, yay or sorry. For those that might be very confused, uh, for the last year and a half, maybe almost two years, Steve, Christian, and I have been hosting a live cast that has alternated between a variety of different mediums um, that is on Sunday nights and goes up on the site for replay Monday morning. However, uh, for those that might not have been around the website this week, John Casillo, our captain of many a year, has decided to take a much-needed step away from writing and focus on his family and other things that don't make him annoyed, like uh, Syracuse scheduling and basketball rotational issues. And with that, Kevin Wall is now a the new managing editor of Noon's Magician. And that means that we get the promotion of going from just a live cast to a live cast and a podcast. So what that means for you, if you are a regular podcast listener, you don't really have to change anything. We're still going to push this out into all the regular podcast places. If you're a live stream uh, listener, nothing really changes for you. We'll still be doing this Sunday night, usually at 8 o'clock. This week we're doing it at Sunday because uh, Steve and Christian are willing to allow me the full Steelers Chiefs monstrosity that will take place. Uh, and We're, we're for- willingly letting Andy live out his nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then for everybody else who's new to this and just discovering things, you have your choice of either watching this happen, watch this take place live on Twitch on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. You can re-watch it uh, inside of the, the Twitch media player on either our Twitch site or the article that goes up on Monday, or you can listen to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So really, the winner is you, because you can consume this in whichever way is best for you. Uh, the losers are all of those who thought that now that John and Dan were gone meant that we weren't going to talk about Syracuse football in the middle of basketball season. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. And in in honor of our uh, our former captain, who uh, I think actually, uh, Christian, you're the only one around that doesn't uh, 
wasn't around from the Keeley era, so right? I think the rest yes. of us have all mm-hmm. lived the uh, the entirety of the Casillo reign. Uh, and, you know, just a, a hats off to, to Mr. Casillo regaining his... Uh, Regaining his sanity, uh, may he may he forever be disloyal and an idiot. May he. I think that is the best way to send him off. Um, it really he, all started going down for him when he named his son Greg. <laughs> yep. Uh, it really. You you're just courting it then. Like really, that, <laughs> yeah. that's how this works. Um, for those that oh my goodness, so for those that are new to how we typically do things, uh, we run through the week that was. And we typically do it in chronological fashion or in sport fashion. Um, This week, we're going to do it by sport, if only because off the bat, for those that are listening for basketball, here's your hit. We're going to do this real quick. Uh, I think, Christian, you put it best before the show. There's nothing new about this team that took place this week that we didn't already know coming in. Because the team is doing the same same stuff. They're they're not very good defensively. Uh, They're... Very inconsistent shooting-wise. They're not an elite shooting team. They're just a good shooting team, and that's not enough to overcome the very bad defense. And really what got... Obviously, there was the win against Pitt earlier in the week. Congrats, you beat a very bad Pitt team. Syracuse is not the worst ACC school this year in basketball. <laughs> yes. That's, not that that's not the that was something... Thing, that's the only thing that Syracuse can take away from this season. Hey, now, we've still, got the, we've still got the second leg against them coming back, so we might still be the worst team. <laughs> Ooh, that would be bad. Um, what I do want to dig into is the Florida State game, a team that Syracuse beat on the road. They could not beat at the Carrier Dome. Uh, we saw the same issues that has plagued Syracuse all year long, and there were two things that stuck out to me. And Christian, you can take whichever one you want to first. The first was Cole Swider's quote after the game where he said that they were still working on learning principles, which to me is a giant... Yeah. For those that are watching, Steve just made a very curious head tilt phase. Um, Yeah, to me, that is admitting that you don't know how the only principle that you're running is the zone. And if you're still learning how to run the zone in January, I think you're beyond help. The second one was that Benny Williams did not play a single minute of this game. And Christian, you were the one that tweeted it out afterwards. The poor kid stayed on the floor after the game to just get up shots. Um, and so I'll kind of leave it to you. Which one of those two is, is most interesting long term for the Orange in, in your mind? If we're talking long terms of this season or if we're talking long term of this program, those are two very different things. Long term for this season, obviously the Swider quote is the more pressing one. Long term for this program, the Benny stuff is the more pressing one. I'm going to take the Cole Swider one because it's basically like you said like i when i was in the press conference and i heard that i kind of did a double take as well it was just like uh really you guys are still not familiar with the concepts of the zone even though you've played what is it now close to 20 games you've played 17 games and you've had about three four months of practice with this zone like i get it we're not professional basketball players but I find it hard to believe that it takes that long to learn the concepts of any defense or system, let alone the Jim Beheim system. Yes, I get it. The zone, especially the way that Jim Beheim wants to run it, is hard to learn. But if it takes you that long to learn it, then there's a deeper issue at hand. And it gets to the point where now, as much as we want to talk about the defense needs to improve, that quote kind of almost puts into context saying that the defense is beyond help, beyond improvement, and that it's probably plateauing at where it can be right now, which is just not good. Yeah, it's a weird, weird quote, and it's a weird statement. And like like you mentioned, people have been running a 2-3 zone for years. Like That's a staple of every basketball program. It may not be exclusively that it may not be the wrinkles that Beheim has put in it however you should have the concepts down and be able to at least like by midway through the season have a semblance of knowing what the hell you're doing and I and it's not not just Swider but a, a lot of players on the court including various sons of Beheim who have been playing the or <laughs> around the defense for 30 years uh 20 years they're young I'm old uh but uh yeah 
Beck, Jack, uh, for all, for also for those of you who are just listening <laughs> in for the first time, um, we have the certain tick marks we have to check off uh, yep. during our show. Uh, one of them is the Steve is old reference, and we've got that one uh, about ten or so minutes into the cast. Yep, that is the eight minute mark, so that's a solid. We're we're on track. Uh, yep. <laughs> But yeah, it, you would think there'd be some semblance of growth by the mid mid season mark, and there's really not been um, outside of you know Jesse Edwards still looks like he's good. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we're realizing about this team, and uh, Christian, I think you, I don't know if you were aware, you would have been actually aware of this team because you would have been. Uh, Syracuse would have been on your radar was the Rakeem Christmas senior year season. That was where... my freshman year. Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, so that was <laughs> that was the that that team feels very similar to this team with the biggest caveat being that no they disrespect. Don't have, they don't have a guy like Chris McCullough who could score. I mean, McCullough was only there for the first few games of the year, um, yeah. but it was but more of like. Rakeem was a McDonald's All-American prospect who by his senior year looked like an NBA center, at least in the sense of he had a lot of good skills. He could take some, you know, shots falling away. It's not that Jesse can't do that. It's it's just that Jesse doesn't quite have that polish or that size that Rakeem had by his senior year. But the rest of the team feels very similar uh, in the sense that there's a lot of guys that are not really meshing well together you, there's not a true slasher to the to the rim there's a lot of guys that want to post up and shoot and the end result is a really dysfunctional offense that basically ends up being flow to the center and then maybe the center kicks it out uh and I, I i do want to call out one thing that i thought was really interesting we saw this in the pit game a little bit less so in the florida state game uh Things I never thought I would say, but Joe Girard is doing his best to drive the ball to the yeah. rim consistently. I, I, I tweeted this out during the game as well, um, and, Kev, and Kevin like pointed it out as well. Like he's not doing the best side to side, but he's blowing by guys going to the rim, and he was doing that with regular consistency against Florida State. And so, like if he can continue to work on that part of his game, that opens up a new lane of offense for the Orange that hasn't been available for them pretty much at all not just this year but for the last couple of years as well i i just am amazed that after all this time of of talking about joe gerard being you know the next jimmer for dead or or being the next andy routens or, or jerry mcnamara or whatever it is like joe really has bulked himself up and is now at the point where we kind of have to go to him and go like listen this is not buddy is not something is not right with buddy this year i don't know whether it's He's just chronically going to be an early season rest guy. I don't know if it's a situation where teams are just doing a much better job of calling him out earlier in, you know, getting set up in the half court and taking him away more consistently. And he's not quite adjusting as well. But Joe is really becoming the guy who the offense has to start flowing through at the beginning of every possession. Um, not just because he's the point guard, but because he's the only guy with an option. And he's done a really nice job of at least saying, like, listen, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to move forward. Odds are I'm going to get fouled. And at least that's something which is better than nothing. And it, it to me, it's just very weird that we're this deep into the season when we're finally figuring this stuff out. And it's and it's not been a situation where there's been guys off of the bench that you're trying to find your gel with. Like, this has been the same unit that's been running out all season long. Like you're, it really took you this long to get to that point in the, (laughs) in the offensive checklist. If you can't, if you can't come up with chemistry playing 35 minutes a night together, then I don't know what, where, where that's going to come from. Like, it's not like, Oh, we're getting a line change in here and things are going weird. It's like, Oh, Samir Torrance came in for one of the guards and that's the only sub we made. Cool. Yeah, okay. not, not yeah. like not like Florida State where they subbed out four guys at right. one they're, point. They're playing hockey, like they're literally playing hockey. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's Florida so State played eleven guys against Syracuse. Syracuse that, has eleven the, guys. The, the orange, <laughs> the orange played seven. Yeah, it's, and that yeah. that includes the cameo by Frank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he <laughs> definitely did not get paid a cameo rate. Yeah, for I was gonna cameo. say, yeah, like how much did you charge for that? <laughs> I mean, and like, I think this is the tough part about talking about basketball at this point. And like, we kind of, I kind of got into this discourse on Twitter a little bit. Like, we're beyond the, like, and this is the segue into football because this is what we did for football all year round in uh, uh, 2020 and what we did for a little bit in 2021, where we can talk about the games to a certain extent 
but in reality we kind of have to start talking about the program as a whole and start talking about core things like identity and uh, you know long lasting impacts of how what a single season does to the totality of a program's history and what that does for that specific coach and i think it's far too early to make any determinations about whether Beheim senior is going to be back considering that news came out this week straight from him that both Beheim might be coming back for next year um there's there's still a lot there's still a lot up in the air and it doesn't make sense to speculate yet if he's going to come back what i do think is worth talking about is if this year really is a wash what changes because Beheim is either going to be put into a situation where he's going to be forced to make a change or he's going to be forced to the door in the, okay, you're retiring at the end of the year. We're going to give you the goodbye party. We're going to sell tickets against your goodbye. And then we're going to bring in the new guy because clearly this isn't working. And obviously, I think that there's a little bit of naivete in that statement that Jim is just going to go because the athletic department says it's time to go. But I also don't think Jim is willing to sign up for getting his butt beat by, you know, the bottom half of the ACC routinely for two seasons in a row. Yeah, it's it's a weird crux that we're at, and uh, we're we're definitely living the the paradigm shift in Syracuse basketball. And I think some some of us have seen it coming for a while. Just the the slow, uh, buoying buoying the program by these postseason runs, which to be fair have been great, yep. but you you cannot sustain a program at the level that Syracuse has been sustained at for decades by mediocre regular seasons and flashy Sweet 16 runs. Yeah, I, I think that that's all very fair. Um, I think that that's going to wrap our basketball section. Um, we're not quite at halftime, so before we get into the fun football talk, there was some lacrosse news. So, Christian, uh, it's time to warm up those Teach Andy and Steve more about lacrosse uh, thoughts. Uh, first, the first thing that came out this weekend, this is um, pretty pretty obvious, Um the national championship odds came out for men's lacrosse. Uh, Syracuse has the seventh best odds at plus 1,400. Uh, odds are courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbooks. Uh, the defending champs, Virginia, are co-favorites with Maryland. Right, Duke, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Georgetown are all ahead of Syracuse as well. With the exception of Georgetown, those are all pretty historical lacrosse powers, and Georgetown is no slouch either. Uh, Christian, I think that their last year's team, you and I and Steve talked on this show a lot about how it really kind of felt like not not last dance in the sense of like, oh, man, this is going to be the last run for this current coaching staff, even though it ended up being that way. It was more of a they loaded up and if they were going to win the title and break the drought, it was going to be last year's team. Obviously, that didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Uh where should Syracuse's fan where should Syracuse fans expectations be this year based off of the fact that this is still a really talented team but there was a whole lot of shit that happened between the end of last season and the beginning of this year that have fundamentally changed what the program is and how they operate Ironically, the problems uh, from last year's Syracuse lacrosse team are kind of the same problems of this year's Syracuse men's basketball team. A good amount of offense, an inconsistent amount of offense, but good amount of offense, and then god-awful defense. Mm. Like, it, it was basically the same thing. But you went through those odds, Andy, and you said Virginia, Maryland, Duke, North Carolina, Northern Dame. All of those people are on Syracuse's schedule, with Syracuse playing Virginia and Notre Dame twice, just like last year. So, not only is Syracuse playing all five teams who are in the top five of odds to win the national championship this season, they play two of them twice. And yeah. to combine and to put the cherry on the top of the cake, that puts Syracuse, even though at the seventh best odds to win the national championship, as the dead last team in the ACC. Wow, that's <laughs> mildly insane. So, so you you now you you equate the the basketball the lacrosse thing as far as offense and defense, but it's also not like Jim Beheim went out and hired Gary Payton as his defensive coach. Like, well, 
that would that would almost be like that would almost be like if Jim Beheim actually like poached Patrick Ewing from Georgetown. That's kind of like the level that we're at right here. If Beheim yeah, I, I probably dated myself with the glove yeah. reference. It's yeah. okay, I got it. <laughs> I but I, I don't I even with the even with the glove, I don't think Gary Payton holds the same type of like hatred that Syracuse fans have. Oh yeah, the I, yeah. I'm thinking because, I, I was missing because, the, the John Hopkins a, thing too. So because yep. because not only because Patrick Ewing is one of the best college players ever to play, and Dave Fratramawa is considered to be one of, if not the best defender to ever play college lacrosse. Um. What we're talking about, for those of you who don't follow Syracuse Lacrosse, is that Dave Petromala, former Johns Hopkins head coach, and again, widely regarded as the best defender of all time in college lacrosse and in lacrosse period, is on this coaching staff now as their defensive coordinator, which should hopefully help to soften some of the defensive blows that Syracuse faced last year. They still retain Pat March, uh, who was their offensive coordinator last year, because Pat March has been pretty good in that role ever since he joined the program a couple years ago. And the, uh, the expectations just have to be tempered, just because, once again, this ACC is so, so good. And the schedule that Syracuse plays is really, really tough. It's not a slouch of a schedule. So the expectations have to be tempered a bit. Um, even even with all the excitement of Gary Gates, the head coach, you have pretty much historical names joining this coaching staff, and Dave Petromala, T.D. Erlin, you still have Pat Marsh. Like These guys are very, very good, and the coaching staff looks to be very, very, very good on paper, but the rest of the ACC is no slack. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, we uh, talked about the, the last dance uh, effect last year, and this year it's like the coaching staff is the last dance end of things where it's just like, no, nah, we're just bringing everybody in. Getting yeah. the band back together and sending it home. So, here's the hoping. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of Gary Gate, that's a great segue into uh, Joey Spelina's NIL deal. So, uh, for those that are unaware, Joey Spelina is the top incoming Syracuse freshman. He's one of the top incoming freshmen in the entire country. Uh, number he, one. He, yeah, I was going to say, number one overall recruit, in fact. Uh, he is going to be wearing the 22 at Syracuse. Um, and he is the first lacrosse player to sign a deal directly with a manufacturer. That manufacturer happens to be, uh, gate lacrosse, which if you, the name sounds familiar, well, yes, it is, uh, Gary Gates, brother, Paul Gate, who is the owner and founder of that company, uh, who has offered him a four-year deal. So a deal that should run throughout Spillina's entire Syracuse run. And for uh, pending the the release that came out, uh, Terrence Foy had the original tweet and story on Inside the Cross. That is the first of its kind. It is definitely interesting. <laughs> Gary has no stake in the company and no involvement with the company in any way, shape, or form, other than it just, you know, Outside his Outside of brother. being the brother of the <laughs> yeah. CEO and owner. Yeah, and, and so I thought it was really interesting. Who's that also Kevin, a Syracuse legend. <laughs> yeah, so Kevin Wall kind of jumped into the comments and was like calling out the fact that, um, you know, this is not the first time this kind of deal has been made in college sports, either above the board or under the board. It just happens to be the first time that Syracuse is getting involved in this. And instead of it being football or basketball, it's lacrosse because, of course, Syracuse. Lacrosse. <laughs> Kevin Stan um, Brand. Dr. Rose would be proud. Yeah, yep. but I, I do think that the whole thing, and again, Christian, you can probably give us a little bit more detail here and just like how big of a deal gate lacrosse is in the world. It, it is, it, I think it's interesting, if only because there were issues with the last Syracuse 22, um, which we don't need to, to hash out here. Uh, but in general, it seems like we're continuing the trend of this new kid who's coming in at 18 years old is going to be looked upon and is going to be shouldered with the burden of being one of, if not the best player on the field at all times. And uh, just from my basketball experience with Syracuse, from my football experience with Syracuse, that has worked out once in the grand history of Syracuse sports. And it worked out fantastic when it did. But for the most part, we typically see an adjustment period 
And that can, especially in today's day and age, it can create a lot of interesting, sometimes not always the healthiest discourse around said 18-year-old. Yes, I think that part hasn't been talked a lot about yet because we're still so new in the world of NIL about like, okay, like does money and endorsements and fame get into someone's head before they actually step onto a field and actually, you know, try and use their on-field talent to further their brand. Um, I don't think that'll be a problem with Spelina just because he is that good. I mean, some of the highlight tapes that he has out there are absolutely absurd um, and just in terms of the raw skill that he has. So I don't think that'll be too much of an issue. In terms of like the company itself, Gate Lacrosse, I'm not too familiar with the like the cross apparel brands. Um, I will say like I haven't heard too much about it before the NIL deal uh, because I, if when when you usually hear a uh, lacrosse apparel company uh, like with a big name, it's usually actually the Powells first um, and the Powell brothers um, that that come to mind first when you talk about lacrosse apparel. Um, but it's still a big deal. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's you're linking. Uh, generational athlete just based on the skill set and promise alone with one of the biggest names in the brand of lacrosse so the deal is big in that in that um, aspect um i don't think it'll have too much of an impact on the program uh, uh one of my friends um asked me on twitter like how much of a big deal it is and i think um like there there will there'll be the internet troll backlash there will be some of that, but I don't think it will get to a point where the program actually has to address it, um, which will just be fine. And I think it's, and I think this is just the world we're living in now. And coaches are still going to s- slowly learn how to react to uh, kids earning money, which is totally fine. It's yeah. the world that we live in now, and it's the world that we should have been living in probably for a, for some time now. Right, like Kevin mentioned in the uh, the comments on the NIL thing, it's. You know, it's been happening in a ton of different places under the table for years. It's probably been happening at Syracuse under the table for years. Now, instead of these athletic departments needing to, you know, uh, build, I believe he said something like build a mini golf course to keep from turning a profit, uh, the money can go directly to the kids instead of being donated to the program. And for that, you know, more power to them. You're muted, Andy. There we go. There we go. Uh, I think that I think overall, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. There's not really much to add there. Um, and I think a story that can kind of transition us here talking about the athletic department at whole. This story came out this week. Uh, Syracuse football is looking to upgrade its facilities uh, thanks to a plan that got obtained by uh, Syracuse.com. The general gist is that there is a new head fundraiser at Syracuse um, and the name again, like everything else we're talking about, tends to be uh, tends to be someone uh, familiar. This one is Apollos, who is in in charge. I'm looking through the article right now um, to make sure that I get his name right. It is Michael Paulus, uh, who is the new head fundraiser. Uh, they're going to expand Manly out pretty aggressively, and it sounds like the goal is to make what could be a up to standards with the rest of the ACC football big boys uh, kind of football facility. And then also as a benefit, as a side benefit of that, all of the other sports get better facilities as well. Um, I wrote in the story about this. What's, what's really interesting about it is that while Syracuse is announcing this plan or not announcing this plan is trying to get this plan approved. uh, Wake Forest just got $38 million to build a brand new football specific facility. Uh, Boston College just completed a new football f- specific facility. Florida State is building a new Florida sp- uh, new football specific facility. Uh, bottom line is that the arms race seems to be going on right now. Schools are using this COVID period uh, with less going on to just kind of get these projects out the door and get them started. Overall, it's probably good for Syracuse to keep pace with the rest of the league. And Steve, I, I think a lot of people are starting to come around to this. But like the importance of a football facility in the life of a football player, it's not like they're just getting a fancy weight room like these players essentially live in the facility more so than any other building, including their own apartment. When you count in 
how little time they actually you know yeah if, get free to themselves if you it, yeah if you take sleeping out of the equation they're probably they're probably in and around the football facility as much or more than they are anywhere else um you know you're spending all your time there all your meetings are there pre-practice practice you're not running back across campus to go to you know to go home you're just going to go sit and sit in the the facility and do whatever you know hang out with the guys and it, it's it, it is an integral part of the um the whole no, whole experience no one wants the better workouts at manly then hop on the south campus bus to north campus to get back to burn to study yeah that's probably true <laughs> yeah it's uh, the syracuse and uh, one of the things that kevin has been very outspoken with is that this is probably the plan they should have gone with in the first place um when not that ansley isn't night when yeah. they did ansley yeah when yeah they, not... when they made the big cattle burn <laughs> yeah. It's not that the barn is bad. It's just that the barn doesn't really help with that thing that you guys are mentioning. The layout of all of South Campus relative to main campus and where students need to go, it's all yeah. very screwy and nothing really plays well together. And I'm assuming this plan's goal is to kind of tie everything together and, and build that sort of cohesion that is sorely lacking. And this may finally... Huge, what if we just built a huge sky bridge to connect North and South Campus? <laughs> Somebody, I guarantee, has floated that in a meeting. <laughs> also, yes. the the biggest part of this expansion will it is that it will finally allow us to put the hay in the barn at Ensley. Ah, oh, oh. there's a good reference. <laughs> uh, I think at that we should go to halftime. And for those of you who are familiar with the podcast, um, Steve is our resident beer guy here. I'm sure he can give you some good beer recommendations. But before we talk about anything off topic. Uh, we should talk about Home Field Apparel, the official sponsor of the Troy Nunes is an Absolute podcast. Steve on the live cast is the person here who remembered that and wore the wonderful Home Field Apparel shirt, uh, the Syracuse Auto one. They have a great Syracuse collection. They have a lot of great other schools. If you like vintage stuff, if you like comfy stuff, Home Field's, home field's the way to go. They've yeah. just got so many schools with so many fun designs. It's they tick both those boxes, and they're good enough that I've bought merch that is not Syracuse through them. I own the Tulane fur coat, or not Tulane, I own the Tulane shirt and the Slippery Rock fur rock, uh, fur coat rock shirt. So, mm. you know. So, there. yeah, we're, we're going to continue the Tulane, uh, t- Tulane <laughs> thing on the blog because I also have a Green Wave shirt and the, uh, the UC Irvine Anteater. Yeah. The, the I think shirt. I'm going to get... I'm going to, my aunt works at the University of Cincinnati, and I think I'm going to get one of their Cincinnati shirts that they're dropping because they, the one that they teased looks fantastic. And, uh, you know, now that we're not in the Big East with Cincinnati anymore, I can be a little bit more open about my rooting for Cincinnati. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, fun auto story. One time oh, I no. was in suit and went to the Cincinnati game, and they tried to get me to interact with the Bearcat, and not the the mascot one, a live Bearcat that they oh. brought to the game. Um, which nice. So- my aunt has a photo of it, and I'm going to let you guys know that a live bear cat does not like a human-looking orange. Fair enough. I mean... I didn't know Cincinnati had a live bear cat. I didn't know either. I think it's just from the zoo. I think they literally get it from the zoo for big home games, and then they, like, bring it back to the zoo. Yeah, you don't really just keep a binturong in the closet. Like, it, it, the zoo thing makes sense. It was all very weird. Uh, and yeah, weird mascots, a home field thing. We shall uh, continue this trend uh, as they sponsor us from here on out. Thank you, Connor, and the rest of your team. Uh, as we move off of halftime, we are now continuing the grand tradition of let's talk about football in the middle of basketball season. But this time we actually have reasons to do it. Uh, so many reasons. There were two big recruits that came this week. First, let's talk about the biggest one. Christian, you did the write up. Four-star defensive end Francois Knowlton commits to the Orange. Uh, Francois, I hope that your name is the French pronunciation. Me too. If it is, <laughs> if it is not... Francois Knowlton? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but Francois it comes in as the highest-ranked recruit in Syracuse's 2022 class. And Christian, uh, this is not a... He's the highest recruit because the rest of our class was bad. 
No, no, he's actually got some decent ratings behind him. Um, only one of the publications of recruiting ranked uh, Francois as a four-star. That was ESPN. So we will now be referring to ESPN as our recruiting services from now on and forth until <laughs> otherwise noted. Um, but still very highly rated. Um, he was an 87 uh, by 24-7 sports. The next highest was, I think, LeQuint Allen, who was around an 84. Yep. So to just give you just a kind of talent jump that Francois was, that's the big one. Um, he comes in kind of rated around the same level as my Cal Jones and Trill Williams, if my memory serves me correct. Because I think both of them were around 87s um, when they committed to Syracuse as well. Um, players. <laughs> yeah. Two, two pretty good players. Um, he's... From Miami, uh, originally was committed to Florida. He decommitted in December. Uh, we're assuming that's because of the Florida coaching changes that came through. Uh, thank you, Dan Mullen. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, and, and then, and then you go to his twenty-four-seven page, and then you look at his offer list. Um, mm-hmm. And if you think, and if you have any reason to doubt, like he, that he wasn't a coveted recruit, let's go through some of them. Obviously, Florida, and then you had Bama, Arizona State, Auburn, Coastal, Florida State. The list goes on and on. You have Kentucky, LSU, Miami, Mississippi State, Penn State, Pitt, South Carolina, TCU, Tennessee, Texas A&M, USC. All of these programs had offers out to uh, Francois Knowlton, yep. and. Um, the best thing about him is that he committed this weekend while he was on his official visit here. And it was single-digit weather this weekend, all weekend long. And that didn't scare him off. And, I'm and that didn't scare it. him off at all. So This is absolutely wild. Yeah, so Steve, the kid is 6'4", 225 pounds. Forced, like, this screams to me Chandler Jones-esque type of edge rusher. And I'm just curious, like, what can we do with that type of body? I'm a, this is a big assumption for me. We know the defensive line needs some help. We know that it's not exactly the deepest position right now. It's, as Christian mentioned, this guy tracks with Mikel Jones and uh, Andre Sisko. Uh, he's sorry, actually, um, he's just below, I pulled up, I of course have a recruiting spreadsheet with everybody's ratings from the last 20 years. So, <laughs> Thank uh, you, Steve. <laughs> Jones was an 88.5, uh, Trill was an 89, the cusp for 24-7 to go four stars, 89. So he was just under the cusp, uh, just under Mikel Jones, uh, somewhere right around the Ravion Pierce uh, era. So it's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad at all. I, I think, I think we'll take it. So, yeah, but um, yeah, but, how does how does this kind of body fit into the three three five? Because I'm making a giant assumption. Obviously, he's not an early enrollee, but assuming that he comes in and is immediately part of that defensive line rotation, it's yeah, it's gonna. It, we need to backfill for some big bodies at the end positions. Um, if he can put on a couple pounds, you know, prior like yes, he's six four, but two twenty is a little light for uh, playing in the trenches in the ACC. Um, at that current body style and what I've seen on film, it's almost like he would at present fit that mold of the, the Steve Linton, um, Stefan yeah. Thompson, like pin the ears back and go type. Uh, I, it, uh, on paper, you're listed as a linebacker, but you are an outside pass rushing defensive end type situation. Like all the outside linebackers in the NFL right now. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean Chan- Chandler Jones That's is an exciting. outside linebacker. So, <laughs> isn't TJ Watt listed as an outside linebacker? Probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's well because the Steelers play a three-three-four. Even if sometimes it's a four-three, even if it's they've been doing all actually this year has been very weird. Three-three-four. They have a keeper back there too. No, no, sorry. <laughs> they've been doing a three-four defense. They've been doing a lot of three-three-five this year, and man, I did not think that I would ever be this immersed in the three-three-five. Uh, but here we are. Tony White and Keith Butler, you know, you guys are just really bringing it into my life, whether I want it or not. Um, but I think, but I think that's the interesting part about this kind of recruit is that he's he's from Miami. He's a Nick Monroe grab. This screams you, Dino Babers high upside guy. Like it, all the freak athlete, weird body size that. If he goes to a Florida or a Bama, he's gonna have to sit for a couple of years to build up to be exactly what those two schools need in either an edge rusher or a defense a tried and true defensive lineman. 
But at Syracuse, he you can probably find a way to squeeze him somewhere into that three three five off the bat, even if he is undersized, yeah. and allow him to just make an impact. Yeah, Mike right. McAllister from Sports Illustrated talked with uh, Francois um, in an interview with him. Um, I think it was either uh, earlier, it was earlier today that I, that it was released. Nice. Um, two and two things uh, jumped out at me uh, in that interview. Uh, one, Francois said that uh, uh, was something that got him hooked was uh, Dino Babers talking with his mom um, in his office. Um, uh, you know, it, the Dino really loves the family stuff, so. You know, yep. getting the mother on board is always very, very good. Um, and also, one of the things that they preached to him was uh, playing time early. And you can already see that because when you think about what potentially the starting lineup for Syracuse could look like on the defensive line, you have Caleb Okochukwu as one of the defensive ends. You're probably thinking Terry Lockett as your defensive tackle. And then that other defensive end spot is kind of the question mark. You don't know who's going to go there. Yeah. And so that's where someone like a Knowlton or a Dennis uh, Jacques Jr., that's kind of where they, those guys, type of guys are going to find the playing time because they need another defensive end because you really only have Okachukwu and Lockett as the two guys who are most likely going to start uh, the defensive line. Yeah, yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point. Yeah, sorry, Steve. Oh, go for it. Fire away. No, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting that we haven't really seen this with Tony White on the defensive side of the ball where there's a position that's just kind of rotated. Like he's obviously, I, Steve, I think you were the one that called out, like he likes to rotate those defensive linemen um, pretty aggressively. But it would be interesting to see if that changes this year just due to numbers where you've got, you know, two guys that are pretty entrenched into playing every down if they can. And then you've got just one possession that it, or one position that's maybe uh, time and place like you bring in Knowlton in pass rush situations where you can just let him pin his ear back and and go as fast as he can and maybe you bring in a bigger body less polished guy in in run stuffing situations I, I think that we've seen white do a really good job of adjusting on the fly and uh it's Steve it's something that you've called out white for doing a lot where he can not he doesn't necessarily come into a game with a specific game plan so as so much as he comes in with concepts and uses the first few drives to kind of l figure out which concepts the team is going to focus in on for the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a more nuanced version of throw shit at a wall, see what sticks. Um, <laughs> and it works. It has worked for him. Um, and I like that the, the scheme is adaptable, that he's adaptable, and that the staff and players have been adaptable to what he needs them to do i'm just going to keep saying adaptable um for the hell of it but uh i super was adaptoid <laughs> tony white the super adaptoid there you go done take the shirt i uh i pulled up um pulled up the roster jadius gear is another name we'll have to watch 66 255 um oh yes came in last that. year he didn't see any time yeah. this year but another you know big body that could uh could make an impact at one of those end spots. Um, but it, it's, it, it really is thin. I mean, you lose Barry, you lose Kingsley. Um, Linton's listed as a D lineman, but that's not no, a thing. Not. Um, Roscoe, no. Uh, Kevin Darton, the walk-on that actually no. saw time. So, I mean, if he has another jump like he did enough to see time, it's one thing. Like, uh, we've definitely seen walk-ons develop into something, but I if we're in that situation that uh, he didn't make the jump and he's seeing the playing time, then mm -hmm. we're, we're in a rough spot. Uh, Harper really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who really helped here. Curtis Harper. He would have yeah. really helped here. Would have come in handy. Um, yeah. And then beyond that, Jadius gear, Patrick Alberga, Joe Rondi, Derek McDonald, Lockett, Okachukwu, Elijah Wright, and Elijah Funtas Kundif. Kundif. Oh yeah. Him also. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's not, it's not the, it's not, it's a very inexperienced group, yeah. not yeah. necessarily a thin group. Um, and so it just seems like there's going to be, um, for a lot of those guys, spring ball is like this. This is an unintentional segue. Spring ball is going to be really interesting this year for a lot of different reasons. Um, defensive line is obviously one of those. The other is the quarterback position. Uh, Christian, you were a busy bee this week. Yeah. Uh, somehow this recruit that we're about to talk about we thought was going to be the biggest name that we were going to be talking about on this show obviously francois comes in and completely uh makes us all very Makes happy that. That <laughs> yeah 
Um, Syracuse got a quarterback recruit from Michigan, a transfer, uh, Dan Villari, who's originally from Long Island. Uh, Christian, walk us through uh, the transfer that came in on, I think, Monday or Tuesday. It was so early in the week. Yeah, it was really early in the week. Let's actually let me pinpoint it. it was Tuesday last week. Um, um, and uh, a lot of my information on this, on, on the quarterback, Dan Villari, um, got to give credit to John Eads um, from from Syracuse, from Orange Fizz. Um, he is from Michigan and is a Michigan fan, so he has actually seen Dan Valeri play and knows what uh, Michigan fans think of him and how he was used. He was the third-string quarterback last year at Michigan, um, behind, obviously, Cade McNamara, and a five-star who should be the starter when McNamara leaves, um, and J.J. McCarthy. So Valeri wasn't going to get much playing time. Um, he did see garbage time minutes um, only through three times i think one completion uh rushed nine times had 30 30 plus yards um the big thing that people were talking about with falari at michigan was tasting him comparisons <laughs> and obviously there there are two things that that uh jump out of you when you talk Taysom hill especially when it comes to syracuse one because syracuse has a running quarterback quote-unquote in Garrett Schrader and so Valari seems to be another guy who would fit that mode of a dual threat quarterback and Valari's got some muscle on him as well so he's not a, you know yeah. a juking type running quarterback he'll probably be a bruising type running quarterback uh, but two obviously Taysom Hill went to BC to BYU uh, people might remember that his offensive coordinator at BYU was Robert Anae Mm -hmm. who is now at Syracuse. And his quarterback's coach was Jason, Jason Beck, Beck, who's also, who's at, Syracuse. also at Syracuse. Um, so, so a lot of people will see last year the Virginia uh, and Brennan Armstrong numbers and thinking they is a passing quarterback, a, a guy who works with a passing quarterback. But you forget, not only you had him working with Taysom Hill, you also had him working with Bryce Perkins, when he was at Virginia as well, and yeah. he turned out pretty well at Virginia. So, um, Ane and Beck have experience and good experience with these type of dual set quarterbacks, and a quarterback who has kind of the same skill set of a Taysom Hill, like Valari seems to project as. So, yeah. that's where that comes to be interesting. Um, Can't really complain about that. I mean, no. I mean, the only thing you can really complain about is because we haven't seen Valari throw in game to action, right. and the obvious question about Syracuse and quarterback is can you actually throw said ball I mean right now we have a quartering running back so uh instead of a running <laughs> quarterback um but at the same time you have like you you look at the film that Valeri showed you know just practice film but I I do wonder he has a very low release uh looked like quick release but it looks like a low release um with the quality of our offensive line you never know how that's going to be at keeping hands down um, of course, I had to bring it back to offensive line. Anyone who hasn't listened to the live cast, <laughs> I will always bring it back to offensive line somehow and in some way. So that's another another box ticked on the uh, the Noons bingo card. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it can't hurt depth. I don't know if he's going to be the guy to drive Schrader, but it's, it's at least more depth in that QB room and at least one more body out there throwing the ball. Yeah, I think one of the things, uh, Steve, we kind of talked about this just in a text conversation uh, about the Bills' performance yesterday against the Patriots. And one of the, I was listening to the ESPN or the uh, Ringer NFL show, and they were talking about how Josh Allen, and you remember this very acutely, early in his career, like the big thing is that this is a big boy who can run, but the arm was all over the place. Yeah. Like you knew that the arm strength was there, but the accuracy just wasn't. And what he's done over the last couple of years is just turn himself into a dart thrower. Uh, he throws the ball hard, he throws the ball far, and he throws the ball accurately. But clearly this was a process that kind of evolved because at Wyoming, uh, he was primarily used as a runner who was a very inaccurate thrower, which thank you, Nate Mink, for posting this on Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw this from Nate. Uh, I saw this, yeah. So Eric Dungy uh, was committed to Wyoming until his recruitment goes another way. And Syracuse then obviously comes in and gets Dungy. Wyoming backfills him with Josh Allen. Uh, so, again, we so, just made Josh Allen a Syracuse thing. So, yeah. thank you, everybody. So, but, Josh, but, or apparently Wyoming has a type also. 
if, yeah. if they were like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, that and did and did we expect Dungey was going to be poor man's Josh Allen no we did not but so. here and here it was I mean they weren't wrong like their evaluation on Dungey was, was pretty spot on for them and same thing with yeah. Allen and I think that that's you know we make these Dungey comparisons we don't necessarily but a lot of fans make these Dungey comparisons with Garrett Strader and now Valari's coming in with the same kind of you know mentality and I think one of the things that I'm most interested to see can one of these guys throw the ball because that was what made Dungey special was that Dungey didn't have the Ryan Nassib I'm gonna laser this in everywhere for an arm but he did have a really solid deep arm and he had touch like he could throw that soft goal line fade he could throw a ball that just nested into a streaking wide receiver um, and that's what made him so dangerous and why he was able to get running space because teams had to respect his arm. Yeah, and, uh, and you just described to... two of the throws that Josh Allen made last night in his seven, <laughs> seven yeah. straight touchdown performance. So, uh, it... Dunchy has the type of arm who is with the perfect type of mentality of the F at blank, blank, blank down there somewhere. Um, and he has that perfect type of arm. Um Obviously, Syracuse doesn't have that type of receiver um, in the wide receiver core, but like that's also kind of what made Dungey special is that he could pull off that effort, that guy down there somewhere, well, whoever it was, whether it was Amba, whether it was Ishmael, right. yeah. whether it was Tristan Jackson um, or now, Custis. To be fair, we also don't know if we have that guy in the receiver core because that by the time the guys that could have been that guy were seeing the field, we were already in throwing the ball as optional mode. That is true. So yeah. who knows if, like, if we had someone that could throw the ball down there, if Alford can go up and get it, or if, yeah. uh, oh, oh, God, brain, Dolphins, uh, uh, Ronda Gadsden Jr. There we go. I was like, <laughs> Dolphins wide out son. Dolphins, Dolphins yes. wide out son. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I'm, glad that you, I'm glad you figured that out. That was impressive. It's the the, the Bills fan in me has Ronda Gadsden's name uh, ripped into my memory for years, so... <laughs> His, his son is, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what? you know, being able to, you know, utilize the actual wideouts that we have would be nice. And I think that that was one thing we did see from Schrader in the Virginia Tech game was that we saw him stand in there, just chuck it up. Alford went up and had to go back a little bit to get it, but he got it in stride and, and was able to score the winning touchdown. So we know that Schrader at times can throw it it's just maddeningly inconsistent mm -hmm. we don't know what Valari has we don't know what Lampson has Jacoby and Morgan has really become a really big unknown and I feel like this is the year where he's either going to get the backup role or he's transferring out sometime during spring ball which is less than ideal but really we saw so little of him during the 2020 season right. um because he was dealing with injury concerns as well that the whole thing kind of you know we we don't know necessarily what he has and he is labeled as more of a pocket passer than a runner um it was just that, that offensive line was so terrible that he had to do a lot of running Everybody so i think that was that's, a runner <laughs> yeah and i think that's the most interesting thing uh, that i'm i'm looking forward to in spring ball is that you've got really what feels like the same type of quarterback in the room in three different variations where Lamson's probably the rawest and maybe the most true pocket passer. Uh, uh, Velarde is probably the truest running form and you're hoping that Schrader is somewhere in the middle. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure who's the going to be the easiest to work with because they all have very obvious flaws. It's just a matter of which one an A and Beck feel they can do the most work with. And we've, and I, you know, we were all here last year when spring ball was announced and it was all kind of kept cl closeted and we had to listen to the uh, coach speak sessions that were the Matt Park interview series that they did weekly. Um, it really does feel that the coaching staff is down to kind of let these sessions be throw to, to borrow Steve's phrase from earlier, throw shit at the wall and see what sticks with these guys. And I feel like this is the year that I really hope that there's a spring game so we can see something. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a date on it and there's a broadcast on it. So here's the, here's the hoping things don't get derailed and I probably won't be there in person, but hopefully somebody will be able to. Hi, Christian. How you doing? <laughs> I might, I might come up to Syracuse for that for, there our, you go. It's, yeah. it's, it's spring. I should do it. Um, the last thing that we should talk about before we wrap here. Um, Sean, Sean Tucker. Tucker's deltoids. 
<laughs> Did y'all see the photo that was tweeted out by Syracuse? Uh, by Syracuse football. football? That yep. man is ripped. Holy, <laughs> he's like twenty years old, right? Like he's not even twenty-one yet, no, and that's... he looks like <laughs> he's insane. It's the the DC three uh, weightlifting <laughs> regimen, apparently. <laughs> um, I actually have pulled up uh, TFRRS's Virginia Tech Invitational results. Um, so for those wondering, Sean Tucker competed in two different events. Uh, uh, actually, one event. He competed in the 60-meter dash. Um, he was not the last place finisher. In fact, he finished 13th out of 26. And Like, he... mi- like mid-pack for your first meet in God knows how long. When um, you just and... joined the team less than a week ago? <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah. At the end, this is, and this is a Division One track meet too this isn't just yeah. like oh i'm running at like a college level one this is this is akin to dk matcliffe going to the olympic trials and posting yeah. a time that made people go oh crap you could have been a sprinter yeah um yeah. sean tucker ran the 60 in uh 7.01 seconds winning time was 667 um and so he just you know wasn't quite wasn't quite where he needed to be to get into the finals but really solid showing and I'm and no, I like, guarantee nobody else on that track had the upper body of this man either. <laughs> There's a lot of extra weight he's pulling along compared to everybody else that's running it. I don't want to go through and look up every single athlete's photo, but I would assume that you are correct. Um, the one thing that I <laughs> will Kevin's say, job. that's we right. have Kevin do that. The one thing that I will say is that even if the quarterback doesn't work out, Sean Tucker is potentially set up for an absolute beast mode of a season next year. Like, I don't know if he's going to get the same workload, but the dude might be doing one of those 15 touches, averaging five yards, six yards per carry kind of seasons that just go under the radar because the cumulative totals aren't necessarily there. But if you take one second to, like, look at the rate stats, you go, oh, my gosh, this guy is a beast. Right. Now, we already do that as far as, oh, my God, this guy's a beast. So uh, it, it won't be a surprise to any of us, but uh, he may he may get on the, the national radar a little bit more than what uh, what happened this year, which was a, a bit of a travesty. But it helps. You hope so. Yeah, just absolutely nuts. We'll have to we'll have to ask Kevin to keep an eye on and see if he's running any more events now that he's officially got his his time. If he breaks the seven second mark, um, fantastic for him. And I'm I'm just amazed. Like you said. Uh, Steve, the when that picture got tweeted, my first thought was that man is carrying so much weight and running so fast. <laughs> and also, yeah, the, uh, you think of sprinters' bodies. That is not a sprinter. <laughs> no, <laughs> but no. he's running with him. <laughs> Remember when I said that Sean Tucker was a power back? <laughs> well, things can be two things. <laughs> yeah. He's he's just an NFL back. That yeah. is that is what Sean Tucker. That's is. what it is. That's what he is. He's he literally that. There's something to be said about that one touch or one cut, hit the hole, and go. And his ability to do that is just immeasurable compared to most backs you see in college. And it's yeah. you see you see that cutback. You commit to that cutback. There's a lot of backs that you know stylistically they'll you know dance around the hole and find a seam and whatever. Uh, Tucker finds what he thinks is a seam and then he makes it a seam. (laughs) 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 It is. uh, It's, it's, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. I'm really happy for the kid. Like I, I, he's going to go into the books. Obviously he's in the record books. He's going to become one of those Syracuse legendary, legendary players that like we all remember, even if, he's doesn't become like a Chandler Jones and has this long NFL career that basically forces himself into Syracuse fans, collective consciousness every five to 10 years. Um, just, just genuinely happy for the kid. Um, but with that, we have gone through the week that was, which was an absolutely (laughs) batshit week for the second week of January. Um, we have gone through the year that was the last week. (laughs) It really is wild that our first two shows in january have been actually jam-packed with no filler because stuff's been happening um and stuff will probably continue to happen uh there's going to be more basketball this week there's going to probably be more football recruiting news this week it sounds like the football staff is obviously hitting the trail hard um we'll be back here next sunday night 
8 p.m. Eastern on Twitch if you want to watch live. If you want to watch uh, not live and some other time during the week, this will be up in uh, podcast form on Monday morning as well as a Twitch playback that you can watch um, if you want to watch our facial reactions and Steve's wonderful home field apparel t-shirt. We'll be doing this from here on out. We'll probably continue to bring on some guests when we can. We'll... Uh, highlight some other writers from around the news world when we can. Uh, we're very excited to be doing this and filling in the shoes of John and Dan. Uh, we hope that you guys enjoy us. Give us, uh, you know, drop us a review. Give us five stars. Uh, if you're listening on a podcast app of your choice, if you're watching us on Twitch, thanks. Uh, make sure that you subscribe just so that way you can uh, get reminded of when we go live, even though it's going to be pretty consistent, but just for an extra reminder. Uh, and we will be back here next week. Uh, as always, go orange, but actually happy. I was going to say, <laughs> we don't have to have the, the pathetic go orange this week. <laughs> yeah, go orange. Go orange.